Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. My name is Kyle Longton, and along with me is... Anna Wolfart. And today we are talking about Second Opinions during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So this is a topic that touches many of our lives, Kyle. Breast cancer is pretty common, unfortunately. Um, and you actually have some stats to share with us. Yeah. So during during our discussion, we'll get into some specific stats about our members um, in Foreign Service Benefit Plan. But I want to just mention that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And that actually, that designation for the month of October has been around since 1985. Um, but as, as Hannah mentioned, this is a topic that touches too many lives. Um, about one in eight U.S. women will develop invasive breast cancer over the course of her lifetime. And it's estimated that this year alone in 2021, an estimated 281,550 new cases are expected to be diagnosed um, along with 49,290 new cases of non-invasive. The, the first step was for invasive breast cancer. So um, there is a, a minimal though still existent risk for men um, which is about one in 833 in their lifetime. So this is something that can touch everyone's lives. But of course, we usually think of this um, in terms of women's health and, and a focus on women's health and um, ideas for prevention and early recognition. And we'll talk about some of that today. But beyond this episode, we're also going to have some additional resources for our members. Hana, can you talk about one of those that, that our members can see this month of October? Definitely. So as a compliment to this episode, we have a breast cancer awareness blog coming out this Thursday, October 7th. So if you go to aspa.org backslash blogs, that'll be up later this week. Um, and that'll provide some additional resources and information. I think that'll be great. And, I, and I'm looking forward to, to reading that as well as to the conversation that we're going to have today. And as you mentioned, Hannah, we're talking about second opinions and breast cancer awareness. Um, it, we're, we're always sort of looking for new ways to approach topics here and also make sure that our members know about the programs that are available to them. And today's no exception. So we're, we're looking at a second opinion service that we offer to FSBP members, um, but also looking at through the, the lens of breast cancer and breast cancer awareness. So our guest today is Jeff Weaver, and he is a certified master's level physician's assistant and the clinical director of the group benefits at Pinnacle Care, where he has overseen the medical management of complex and serious illness for the past five years. Prior to joining Pinnacle, Jeff practiced primary care, HIV, and infectious disease medicine at the University of Maryland Medical System and helped grow and develop an innovative and holistic care delivery model for the Institute of Human Virology. Understanding the complex needs of patients and connecting them to comprehensive and appropriate resources and services is key to his practice of medicine. And I have a feeling just having talked with him a few times in the past, we're going to see that come out even in just our brief conversation today. So without further ado, Jeff Weaver, welcome to Ask the Talks. Great. Thanks, Kyle. It's my pleasure to be here and, and looking forward to, uh, to our talk. Yeah, we, we've had a, a great relationship with Pinnacle Care for several years now, um, and that relationship really is focused on providing expert support to our members who are facing a serious diagnosis. Um, now, when I use that term, serious diagnosis, people think of different things, 
And um, you and I are probably thinking about different things, even as we're talking about it. But I'm curious if, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit, provide a quick overview of the medical situations or, or diagnostic categories in which Pinnacle Care has assisted uh, Foreign Service Benefit Plan members. Yeah, great question. And, and I think to your point, uh, any diagnosis that's, that someone receives is, is going to be considered serious to them and to us. Um, but as you mentioned, the, the service that we're providing is primarily falling within the category of that which is complex or serious, and serious in the sense by which the treatment um, involves a potential surgery, um, other types of invasive, invasive or systemic treatment. Uh, we're also looking at, at diagnostic categories that may involve major organ systems. Um, and that may include uh, neurologic systems, musculoskeletal, uh, things like joint disorders, bone fractures, orthopedic surgery, osteoarthritis. Um, we've also um, really been focusing uh, on um, helping members with uh, cancer and precancerous diagnoses, and I think that's going to be the priority focus of today's uh, discussion, given, again, the complexity, seriousness of the diagnosis and the treatments that are involved. I'm wanting to make sure that members are best supported and directed uh, with those. And I think that that last category you touched on, the cancer, uh, is going to be our focus today. And, and with a, a little bit of a focus on breast cancer, it is October and Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And in fact, we we just went through some statistics recently um, internally. And for FSBP members facing a cancer diagnosis, 17% are dealing with breast cancer. And that is our leading diagnosis in the, um, in the cancer realm. But that doesn't mean that all cancers or even all breast cancers are the same. Um, and, and you know this much better than I do. So could you talk a little bit about the differences that um, you and your colleagues in the medical profession recognize in the various forms of cancer? That's a great, great question. I think what we're um, looking at, Kyle, when we hear the, the term or diagnosis cancer is, is, is two major categories. First is understanding which uh, organ system or which actual tissue that cancer is arising from. And uh, that will direct us into the right types of specialists, the, the types of treatments that uh, have shown to be beneficial and, and set some expectation on prognosis and goals for therapy. So whether that cancer is arising from the pancreas or the breast uh, may take us down two very, very different kind of roads of understanding it. But once you have the, the tissue of origin, um, the next question is, is one that I think the common, um, the general population is familiar with. Uh, what stage or what is the extent of that cancer um, at this point of diagnosis? And sometimes we understand those terms stage one, stage four. Uh, that's sometimes the second question that's when a patient or a family member says, I have cancer. The next question is, well, how bad is it? What, what stage is it? And and that staging system really is uh, taking a composite of a couple different factors to help us, again, as medical practitioners and consultants and support staff to help understand what types of treatment could and ought to be considered. What's the urgency uh, of, of treating that cancer? Uh, who are the team members that should be involved? Uh, and, and really helping uh, define some of the major overarching goals. Um, and so again, there's a, there's a different set point and a different tone um, in approaching someone with stage four, very advanced cancer than there would be with stage one. And, uh, and so those are the immediate kind of paradigms and categories that we begin to think through uh, and then help patients uh, and their families get to a place to understand those as well uh, to guide their expectations and their, their, their journey through their cancer. And I really appreciate you putting yourself in the, the, patient's um, shoes and describing what that experience is like, because when 
when that diagnosis comes, um, the patient, their support system, family, friends, whoever it may be, they're, they're dealing with that diagnosis. They're trying to understand what it is. And we're asking questions, the answers to which we might not understand. Um, and, and we're also facing that diagnosis that can be unexpected and stunning. Um, the doctors in the case consider the, the specifics, as you mentioned, and at that point, recommend the best course of treatment from, from their experience and, and their field of knowledge. Um, and the immediate action I think a lot of patients would take is to start that course of treatment right away. Here, cancer, we want to get it out. We want to treat it. We want we want to be done with it. But that may not always be the, the best first step. Why might somebody want to take a beat and get a second opinion? So that affirming to your point, the desire to move quickly, uh, it's, it's an important instinct. Um, and, and so everything we're going to say is, is framed within that caveat uh, that uh, it, as I was trained, I remember an older physician talking to me and say, cancer is very rarely ever an emergency, uh, but it should be considered and managed urgently. And I thought that was a helpful frame uh, work to, to kind of um, help and patients and family members begin to process yeah. through that. But, you know, three main categories, and we can kind of, you know, parse these out a little bit. But, you know, the first thing when we're thinking about second opinions is related to ensuring we have the accuracy of diagnosis. And, and that accuracy involves also a precision and a depth. Uh, because, again, just saying, hey, I have stage one breast cancer um, may seem precise, but there's actually several other factors that can go into um subcategorizing that cancer, for example, that may be right or wrong or missing. And so you might have the right diagnosis, but it's under-categorized. Um, a second opinion also can provide clarity and expertise on the treatment options. And I think this is one of the reasons that we love to get involved in equipping people with second opinions, because they sometimes are given the impression that there's one singular way to treat their cancer. Uh, and there actually may be a couple different avenues with different trade-offs involved. And that leads, I guess, to the maybe the third category is that each individual person needs to make a, a final decision for themselves. Uh, the physician, the teams, the oncologist, the nurses, everybody who's working in that is there to provide counsel and to deliver the treatment, uh, but it's the patient who has to own that treatment. And for some patients, um, that singular um, uh, engagement with a provider is all they need to be confident in their decision-making. Uh, for others, it's uh, a, a type of second opinion with a certain specialist because they have lingering questions about an aspect of their diagnosis or their treatment plan. And so it can bring them to a place to have confidence. And the phrase that we use at clinical care that I use sometimes in, in phone calls with patients is to eliminate or reduce retrospective regret. Um, everybody's going to make a, a decision and then three and four and five years are gonna go by. Uh, and, there, and that cancer journey is gonna turn into something, a cure, return, or potentially uh, a death. Uh, we're hoping that's not the case, but we want patients and family to be able to look back at the years previous when they were faced to make that final call and say, I had all the information, I had everything I needed, and I made a decision that was in line with how I wanted to approach my cancer journey. Uh, and that can be very, very empowering and reassuring. It, that that's I really appreciate that. I'm sort of my breath taken away in, in thinking about that that framing of um, uh, minimizing the regret as you're looking back um, and knowing that you had as much information as possible and your questions answered. And and sometimes people are even in a, a case when they're diagnosed with cancer of disbelief. 
and, and seeking to, they, they may turn to a second opinion to just confirm the diagnosis, right? 100% disbelief or again, sometimes when they went to that first appointment, they heard 20% of what the physician said. And so they need to just go again. And, and then the next appointment, they got about 60%. And so now they've acquired 80%, 90% of what they need to know to make a decision. And, and sometimes we can get the sense of that. And we're talking to somebody and, and we get a sense, okay, you have a, a small understanding or, or maybe there's a lopsidedness. You're, you're, making, uh, you're overemphasizing one aspect uh, of this outside of the context of the bigger picture. And so a second opinion could be helpful to, to rearrange the, the dots on the board to recognize which ones are one, two, three, and which decision factors are four, five, six. Uh, and so that, that can be another thing. And again, all that leads to is confidence in decision making. And I think that is a perfect place where Pinnacle Care comes in for our members and, and has been coming in and coming through and providing that support. Um, you know, an insurance company, as, as I'm here talking about foreign service benefit plan, we can't direct care. We can offer support services. We can share the names and information of network providers and offer some uh, decision support tools as well as as counseling and support from our nurse care managers. But we cannot tell a member which doctor is better or or work with them to review pathology and confirm a diagnosis. But Pinnacle Care can. And you all specialize in dealing with this these serious diagnoses and helping patients navigate to get Maybe maybe they won't always understand the full hundred percent that you're talking about, but but maybe sooner to get the at least to eighty or ninety percent, um, and and understand what their their options are. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when an FSBP member gets in contact with Pinnacle Care. Either maybe they're calling them directly, or they've been referred by by our um, dedicated clinical team. So the phone rings at your office, and what happens? And the member gets to a real live person. Uh, it's it's not a phone tree. Uh, you know, it's it's a highly relational uh, connection through um, and, and to our a multifaceted team. Uh, so you'll begin starting with a, a care associate who again is going to provide uh, obtain some basic information intake demographics and begin uh, opening up uh, kind of the file on our end. And then um, very shortly within that call, um, you'll be transferred to your dedicated care advisor. Uh, and this is what I guess I would term our relational and supportive expert. Uh, these are uh, colleagues of mine who have uh, various healthcare backgrounds in the realm of support, whether it be nursing, um, social work, um, health information management. Uh, but their job is to really help make sure that, that you understand uh, your diagnosis, the treatment plans available to you, and understand again what your goals are um, in leveraging the healthcare system um, for your cancer journey. And, uh, and so I, as a medical practitioner, take uh, and communicate this to every new hire uh, in this department, that what they can obtain in conversation uh, can sometimes be as insightful, if not more, than me reading through the medical records of what other doctors have said about what the biopsy says or what the, the, uh, the MRI says. And so uh, that's, that's going to be the first and uh, kind of continuous person that you'll relate to. Uh, and then there'll be other folks that get connected to that team, uh, the medical experts, that's myself and the other medical directors. Uh, and then we have a, a research and medical intelligence um, team that is really seeking to curate and identify within certain cities, states, and across the nation who are uh, top leading experts across different fields of oncology uh, to, again, get you connected uh, with the people that you need to see either in person uh, or leveraging a, a remote network that we have for virtual opinions. 
I so appreciate that, that, that you all are able to take the preferences of the patient in, into account, whether they're, they'll, they'll go anywhere and see anybody, or they want to stay in their region and only go in network, whatever that is. But, but the fact you all have been leveraging the virtual options far longer than maybe the rest of us have that the last year and a half, we've really seen virtual explode, but you all been in that space for quite a while. Um, and I appreciate that you've been leading in that and connecting people um, to, to the experts. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a real privilege and, uh, and pleasure to do that. Yep. And, and you touched on something that I think is so important and something that we've talked about several times on, on past episodes of this podcast, and that's a human connection. Um, I mean, you said it. Yeah, the, the phone rings and somebody answers it, uh, a live human. And we, we aim for that at, at our office as well um, to, to actually get you to the right right place, but get your information and put you in touch with that care advisor who's who's going to be your your main point of contact and help coordinate everything as your your case goes forward and, and be your, your point of contact so that you're not, you don't feel lost in the system, which so many of us do when it comes to medicine anyway. Um, so once Pinnacle Care has the necessary labs, the imaging, the pathology slides, medical records, et cetera, what happens next? I, I, I don't want to um, skip over the value of what you just said. Uh, which yeah. Sometimes we can, right? Um, the, 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 for me, at the very beginning of the case, being able to actually acquire all of the medical record information um, on behalf of a patient is a service that we don't take lightly. Um, Again, knowing for family members, for patients, um, the calling and engaging with um, advanced radiology and this hospital and that doctor uh, could easily chew up three hours of your day uh, and, uh, and be very frustrating. And uh, again, one of our goals is to, to take the expertise of our team who does that all day long um, and relieve that burden. Uh, so again, you can focus on uh, the decisions and the life that you need to be living, not on hold to try to get medical records. And, uh, and so again, we see that as, as very important. But after again, medical, medical records have been acquired, there's a relational connection with, um, with our care advisor that you have. Uh, the case would then, again, with input about your goals be sent to our, uh, our clinical team, uh, by which we would review both of those um, pieces of, of information. Um, looking at uh, what the, the medical record has said explicitly about uh, the cancer, the staging, uh, what we can learn from um, biopsies and pathology and radiology, and then what is it that the patient feels that they need. Uh, our medical director team will then evaluate that for a couple different outcomes. One is asking the question, is there evidence here uh, that there could be a misdiagnosis or an underdiagnosis? The second thing that we'll be evaluating for is, is if we're at a, a treatment part of the story, um, have, has the kind of robustness of standard care options and other options been explained to the patient? Or are there maybe some areas by which a second opinion could bring value um, as it relates to understanding other ways to treat the cancer? And then thirdly, uh, there's an evaluation of you know, the, the quality of the team. And so uh, the extensiveness, ensuring that all of the right um, team members are part of, uh, of, of the local uh, treating team is a question that we ask. And then kind of the relative uh, kind of expertise of those providers. And uh, so as an example, um, I was just working on a, a case this week uh, for an elderly woman in uh, her 70s. She's, she doesn't feel elderly, but uh, she's categorized as such. Um, and uh, she was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, there was a question as it relates to whether or not she should receive a certain type of chemotherapy after her surgery. 
And uh, we looked at the person who was, who was treating her, who was going to be managing that, that chemotherapy, wonderful physician. Uh, but their focus was not um, geriatric patients. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a question within even the guidelines as to whether or not uh, certain types of treatment should be considered um, with uh, age cutoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where we, we got involved and we said, uh, we got, got a gauge from the patient of whether or not they felt confident in their decision about the chemotherapy. And lo and behold, they weren't sure. Uh, and so we connected them um, with a second opinion with a medical oncologist who researches and cares for a majority of patients over 70 years of age. Uh, and so that, that doctor is seeing only those types of patients. Patient goes, sees, and comes back to us with great reviews saying, I feel so confident uh, in the decision and feel that I have a, a great amount of clarity with uh, the decision that I'm going to make. And it was a huge win. And, and, and again, it was done so in a way to not um, reduce their confidence in the physician that they had been seeing because that physician had already provided treatment to them. Uh, and so that's one of the things we're trying to be careful is that we're looking for value adds with being very cautious to not um, create any kind of suspicion about the providers that people are seeing because most of the time they're seeing great folks. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're trying to balance as we review these and provide our recommendations. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story because I think that's something so many of us hear cancer and we think surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, those are our options and they may not be our options given our, our age and, and uh, general overall health. And the fact that you all were able to find someone so focused in the field for this per- member's um, needs is incredible. So thank you very much. Can we talk just a little bit about sort of, you, you mentioned some of the possible outcomes that we see from all of your patients, all of the, the folks you work with, what we call your book of business. How often, what, what are the results that you see in terms of changing diagnosis or strategy and so forth? Yeah, I think the way that we've examined this is we've, we've began to, to curate data around either change in diagnosis, the change in diagnostic strategy, uh, the change in treatment or the provider. And uh, across the board, we're seeing about an average of, of 74% of our engagements uh, around cancer um, result in a change somewhere along those lines. Now, it's important to make sure that to set that in context, because sometimes when people think about a, a 74% change in diagnosis, um, it, can, it can be very unnerving to think um, that there's 75%, uh, three quarters of the cases are wrong. Um, they're not necessarily wrong in that categorical sense. Um, there are some times where we have a, a change of a diagnosis that we thought was cancer and actually wasn't, or was suspected to be benign were very localized, um, like DCIS, uh, but actually was an invasive cancer. Um, and so those things happen somewhere in the realm of 10 to 15%, uh, depending on different factors. Uh, but typically what we're talking about is a, is a nuanced uh, approach to uh, the diagnosis becoming more precise uh, or recognizing that we need more specific care to the care team. So uh, all of that combined uh, leads to that kind of 75% number um, that there's, there's a value to to be had by engaging with clinical care and allowing us to navigate you through your cancer journey. And there's, there's no question of the value that, that pinnacle care that you and your colleagues provide our members. And we're so happy to offer the service that pinnacle care provides at no charge to foreign service benefit plan members um, with qualifying conditions. So Jeff, before we wrap up, um, since it's breast cancer awareness month, do you have any 
prevention tips for our listeners to consider um, when we're thinking about this most prevalent cancer among our population? Yeah, a couple, a couple really uh, clear uh, recommendations. One is to make sure that you have a, uh, a regular and stable relationship with a primary care provider. Uh, they represent, again, your access point in and through the health system. Uh, and, and that's important to have. It's sometimes harder to, to navigate through when you don't have that in place. Uh, secondly is, again, uh, the remarkable amount of uh, correlation between regular self-exams um, and mammograms and identifying cancers early. Uh, and cancers that are identified early in the breast are far more treatable. Um, for example, for the 63% of cases that are identified um, as local cancers uh, contained within the breast alone, uh, they carry with them a 99% survival at five years. Hmm. So that, that's, again, what we're talking about, uh, near 100% survival at five years. So monthly self-exams, looking for um, anything that visually or um, by how patient feels different, it's a perfect time to talk to your primary care or to your OBGYN. Uh, there are several different organizations that um, talk about the frequency of mammograms. Uh, I think to distill down all of the little bits of nuance, um, for anyone who is average risk between the age of 50 and 74, uh, a mammogram every two years um, is uh, your starting point of discussion. Uh, speaking to your, your provider will help maybe personalize that to you. Uh, and there's also a variety of risk calculators to identify based on um, genetic predisposition, family history, and a variety of other risk factors, uh, whether or not you should be seeking to achieve every two-year mammograms or to consider something else. But uh, those would be, again, your basic uh, guidelines as far as identifying cancers and doing so early. Thank you very much. And I think, I think useful for all of us. Any, any final points before we, before we say goodbye, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think the only last uh, piece that I wanted to, to share is just, again, the value of helping uh, individuals understand how to make their own individual decisions. And, uh, and the, the word that we, we like to use here at Pinnacle Care is helping provide people with discernment. There's the acquisition of information that can happen very easily. And even in our second opinions, uh, people can walk away with a lot more information. Uh, and one of the things that we help to do is to help people discern what is the right decision for them. Yeah, and using our relational experts and our clinical director team, uh, we found that, that that's um, very, very possible and uh, that it's been very valuable to our patients. So grateful for that opportunity. I really appreciate that. Inform and empower and, and set people on the, the path to making the best decisions for them. Jeff Weaver from Pinnacle Care, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. For more information about Pinnacle Care and to learn if your case is right for consideration, please contact the dedicated Foreign Service Benefit Plan clinical team at 1-800-593-2354 or visit afspa.org slash FSBP slash Pinnacle Care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of ASPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for at ASPA Cares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.